And we're live. French from around the world, welcome to the great debate. Not a debate where both sides work to defeat one another, rather a debate where both sides come together to find common ground. That's what makes this debate great. And it's a pleasure to have you all here with us. Today, we have a very special episode, one for the ages, you could say. I, I honestly see no reason to further postpone. Let's get the guests on. Let's get started. Let's get our right, right background on. Cool. There we go. Noam Chomsky and Rudy Rushman. To my top left, Professor Noam Chomsky, a world-renowned intellectual and activist for over 60 years. Widely regarded as the father of modern linguistics, Noam Chomsky is one of the most cited scholars in human history. He's widely known for his political activism and fierce criticism of Israel. To my top right, Rudy Rushman, an inspiring young leader and activist. Rudy is a proud Zionist, widely known for his large and rapidly growing social media platform, where his innovative content aims to combat anti-Semitism and strengthen the Jewish people's connection to the land of Israel. Before we get started, a few notes. You may have noticed that the name of the page has changed from The Great Debate to Soha. The Great Debate still exists, but it's currently, it is now a sub-brand of Soha. As our channel has grown and our vision has expanded, we decided it's appropriate to create a more encompassing name. We've added many new shows, many different types of content. For those who don't know, Sulha, excuse my Arabic pronunciation, friends, it means to reconcile or make peace in Arabic. It's also commonly used in Hebrew under the same meaning, and it, it has the same roots as the Hebrew word slicha, which means sorry or excuse me. So the word soha, not only does it show our connection as a people, but it essentially means exactly what we're all about, and that is reconciliation between people. So welcome to Soha, friends. It's great to have you here. If you're new to the channel, please subscribe. And at the very least, like this video to tell the YouTube algorithm to share it far and wide. And if you don't like it, give us a down vote. That's fine. Just express yourself. A big shout out to our Patreon visionary members. We have Trivium Energy PTY LTD. That's a green energy company in Australia. We have SOG Cannabis. That's a cannabis company in California. Whether it's energy or cannabis, those green companies seem to support our mission. Shout out to Max Marine and Sherry Sufi, also Patreon Visionary members. And a shout out to Mike Mintz, who made the intro to this live stream. If you like what he does, you can find his contact information in the description. Um, let's just remember to keep it respectful in the chat. I know our guests will, but the chat sometimes gets wild. I'm reminding you now, no personal attacks, no hate. And before you click send, ask yourself, is what you're about to say productive to the conversation? And if it's not, maybe it's not worth sending. Let's get the show on the road, friends. Rudy Noam, it's so great to have you both here with us. Thank you for having us. We're going to start with the topic of Zionism as an indigenous rights movement. Uh, Rudy, you have really helped popularize this this concept in your activism. Can you share your, your thoughts on that? Sure. So I think that the biggest problem that usually takes place in the conversation of the conflict or between Zionists and anti-Zionists or Jews, Palestinians, Arabs, Israelis, is usually we define terms very differently. When most Zionists define Zionism, we define it as the right for the Jewish people to self-determine on our ancestral homeland. For us, it has nothing to do with the Palestinians. It has nothing to do with the conflict. It has to do with the fact that the Jews should have a right to self-determine in this land. And that doesn't mean another people don't also have a right to self-determine. 
but most people that define themselves as anti-Zionist don't take that position of being anti the rights for Jewish people to self-determine. They're usually against the position in the sense that there's a status quo where Palestinians are suffering. They're against that situation. They're against the what happened in the Nakba. They're against what's happening with the division of land. Uh, they're against the oppression that is being experienced. And so I feel that we're talking past each other. But there are many people that take positions in trying to delegitimize the Jewish people's right and claim to the land uh, that tend to say that the Jews are made up people from Europe that have no claim to the land of Israel, which is clearly false. And so it's very important for us to be able to narrate our own conversation and to express ourselves in a language that people can understand who the Jewish people are and why we have a right to self-determine in that land. Thank you, Rudy. Noam, can you get behind the, the concept of Zionism as an as in indigenous rights movement? The term Zionism has changed its meaning radically over my lifetime, for example. So 80 years ago, 70 years ago, my views were regarded as part of the Zionist movement. Today, the same views are regarded as anti-Zionist, not because the views have changed, but because the concept has changed. So uh, it's very difficult to deal with a concept that keeps changing in meaning. Uh, Zionism back in the 1940s, when I was becoming a, an activist at that time called a Zionist activist, uh, had no commitment to a Jewish state. It was committed, as Rudy just said, to the right of Jews and Palestinians to self-determination in what was then Palestine. Uh, was opposed to the idea of a Jewish supremacist Jewish state in which the indigenous population would be second-class citizens. That was considered part of the Zionist movement at that time. In fact, a fairly substantial part of it. Later, that came to be called anti-Zionism. Well, that's a shifting concept which really can't be discussed. We can discuss the principles that ought to be uh, advocated and implemented, uh, given whatever name you like. Right now, we have a situation where there is, as Bezalem put it, pretty accurately a couple of weeks ago, a Jewish supremacist Palestine extending from Jordan to the sea. Uh, parts of it are called formally Israel. Parts are part of what are now greater Israel, integrated into Israel, but not formally. Other parts are still left out. But the whole region is essentially Jewish supremacist. If you want to call that Zionism, I'm not a Zionist. If you want to say that Zionism means that Jews, as well as the indigenous Palestinians, have rights of self-determination, yes, then I'm the same kind of Zionist I was 80 years ago. Thank you, Noam. Rudy, is there, it seems like there's potentially more common ground that than than we, we may have thought. Is there something that Noam said there that like strikes you as inherently problematic? 
Yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, we have similar outlooks on the situation, but there may be different ways in which we express it. Um, I do agree that the right of self-determination does not have to mean a Western state or a nation state in the way that it played out in 1948, um, and that it means the right to self-determination and that it should be created in a way that Israelis and Palestinians can both experience this civilization in the way that they need in order to fulfill their aspirations. So that's definitely what I mean when I mean Zionism and self-determination. Um, and I definitely don't mean the persecution or the oppression or the removal of Palestinians. To the contrary, I'm very much so pro-Palestinians being able to live here uh, equally. And even those that have been in refugee situations to be able to potentially come back, I think that has to be open in the conversation. But I think uh, describing the situation as Jewish supremacist sort of demonizes one side. Um, and doesn't include the context that there were several wars, there were several mistakes made by the Israeli government, by the Palestinian Authority, by Hamas, uh, by the intervention of the United States, which is something that I'm very much so against. And I think me and Chomsky, me and Noam, you asked me to, to call you Noam earlier, uh, me and Noam would probably agree. I don't think that Palestinians are treated as second-class citizens. I think that Palestinians living in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank and Gaza are just not citizens. And that is a problematic situation. Uh, I think Israel has to take a responsibility on those peoples that they have control over their lives and has to include them into society and treat them equally with dignity and with respect. Uh, there are many things that I push on, for example, removing the wall, removing the checkpoints, uh, one day having the IDF no longer there because we shouldn't have an army that is trained to deal with enemy combatants in a civilian population. We should have uh, a police force that is humane and that actually represents the peoples protecting civilian populations. So there are many things in the status quo that me and Noam would probably agree on. But I disagree that we should call it uh, second class citizens because the citizens of Israel are equal citizens. If anything, they don't have to do many of the things that the Jewish citizens have to do, uh, such as doing the army. Uh, I would not consider it a Jewish supremacist state. I don't think that uh, people achieving their self-determination, whether it be the Aboriginals, the Tibetans, the Yazidis, the Kurds, Native Americans, Native Canadians, the different First Nations of the world, I don't believe that them fulfilling their aspirations is supremacy of their own identity. Um, I do think that there's a conflict. I do think that there are many problems, and I do think Israel has more of a responsibility to change that. Uh, but I think we would define it differently, even though we would agree on the problems that exist and probably uh, have similar views on how to overcome them. Well, if uh, blacks in the United States were excluded from roughly 90% of the territory by a variety of laws and uh, administrative procedures, I would call it white supremacy. That's the way Israel has been since its origins. Uh, we, that's only one aspect. If there were uh, large-scale funding in the United States for white settlements, development of white areas, but nothing for black settlements and black areas, I'd call it white supremacy. Uh, it's not the case that uh, within Israel's own boundaries, it's not the case that uh, uh, Jew, Jewish Israelis, Jews and Palestinians are treated equally. And in fact, as you know, you can't even have Israeli citizenship. Can't have, there's, there's no such thing as the high court determined. You have to be Jewish or Palestinian. And if you're Palestinian, you're deprived of many rights in all sorts of ways. That's a form of white, of Jewish supremacy, just as it would be white supremacy in the United States. In the in Gaza, it's just a monstrosity. Uh, 
Israel has destroyed Gaza. It barely survives. It's living under inconceivable conditions. It's literally almost unlivable. The West Bank uh, Palestinians are subjected to incredible uh, interference and restrictions on their lives. Uh, that's uh, Jewish supremacy. And the whole region is integrated as in the last 50 years since immediately after the 67 war, uh, Israel has been moving to develop a greater Israel step by step, which incorporates whatever in the West Bank Israel wants to have within itself uh, new cities, Malia Dumim, Ariel Dumim, others linked to Israel by major infrastructure projects, uh, subsidized housing for Jews in the West Bank. Uh, uh, you can live in a Jewish settlement in the West Bank and not even know there's any Arabs. You can take a super highway to your job in Tel Aviv. Uh, uh, if you're a Palestinian, you may be barred from your olive uh, groves, your fields by checkpoints, which are arbitrarily um, opened and manned, uh, probably about 150 or 160 of them by now. That's, call it whatever name you like, but certainly Jewish supremacy is about the weakest term you can use for it. So I don't see anything wrong with the term. But it's not much point debating terminology. Uh, it's the situation that exists that we have to face and be interested in doing something about it. It's an intolerable situation, certainly for Palestinians. It's very harmful for Jews. It was predictable and predicted in the 1970s that if Israel continued its policies of sacrificing security for expansion, that it would lead to moral degeneration within Israel, undermining of the status of the Jewish institutions would turn Israel from a very admired state as it was in the 70s to a pariah state as it is today. Predicted, predictable, all of these things have happened. For the Palestinians, it's been a terrible period getting worse. So whatever name we like to give it, that's the situation. And uh, we should be dedicated to overcoming it. I definitely agree with the conclusions of being able to overcome it. However, I do think that there's a lot of context that was left out that is important to include in order to truly understand why we're in the situation and how we move out of it. And I think that certain conclusions I would probably disagree. I think the Oslo Accords are a huge failure. I'm against uh, what happened in the Oslo Accords, although I was born in that year. Obviously, I didn't have a position when I was one year old to be able to be against it. However, morally, I think 
it's immoral for both peoples to divide the land. I think in order to fulfill the aspirations of both populations, we need to create a reality where they both can live equally on one land that does not exclude anyone. Um, when you said about the Arabs being excluded from, or the Palestinians, whatever they identify uh, within Israel, with Israeli citizenship in the Declaration of Independence, it includes uh, a state that would be equal, including the Arabs and the other communities, the Bedouin, the Druzim, the Assyrians, the Armenians, the other communities that exist uh, within Israel. Uh, as Israelis, they're not only Jews, uh, they're also Arabs. Um, also, in terms of settlements, I find this term usually very problematic because it tends to be applied only when it comes to new Jewish villages in Judea and Samaria villages that are built on ancestral Jewish land for which you dig in the land and you find Jewish history. Uh, that definitely doesn't mean that Palestinians don't also have a connection and a valid connection to that land, but the Jews also have a connection. And so the new Jewish villages are considered settlements, but the new Palestinian villages are not considered settlements. I think that's applying a double standard in order to give the impression that Jewish villages in Judea and Samaria are somehow foreign and the Jews are not foreign on their ancient homeland. Not only are those that came back home, uh, the descendants of an indigenous collective that did not lose their indigenous status or identity, culture, language, and so on, connection to a land, but also there was always a presence of Jews living in that land until many of them were displaced uh, in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and were not allowed to come back. Um, I'm against completely what is happening to uh, the people in Gaza. I actually see Palestinians as my cousins, so I don't just see it as a human rights issue. I see it as a family issue. I'm against the status quo uh, for which people cannot travel to different villages in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank. I'm against the restrictions. I've stated clearly I'm against the wall. I understand uh, why many people justify it. I'm definitely not saying that we need to remove it tomorrow, but we need to realize that this wall is unjust uh, and that we need to remove it in order for people to be able to experience the land as whole. Um, there are also restrictions. You claim that there are restrictions of Palestinians to be coming into Israel. Absolutely, because they're not Israeli citizens, which I'm against. But there are also restrictions of Israeli citizens to be able to go into uh, Gaza or to be able to go into Area A that's controlled by the Palestinian Authority. Uh, and Area B is partially controlled by the Palestinian Authority as well. And as someone who um, has been, you know, often in these areas, I see very often pal um, Palestinian Israeli or Arab Israeli vehicles going into Area A without a problem. The only issue in, is when they are Jewish Israelis uh, and many Jews without Israeli citizenship. Uh, who, let's say, had American citizenship, who wanted to go to uh, certain very important places like Kevel Yosef, the tomb of Joseph in Nablus, or what Jews have always referred to as Shrem, uh, they were also removed even though they didn't have Israeli citizenship. So I think there's a restriction of movement and criticism to be had on both sides. And I'll definitely agree that I'm against the restriction of movement to the Palestinians. But I think it's important not to leave out the context that Jews are also being restricted from movement as well. I would disagree also of considering it greater Israel I would refer to as historic Israel um, because we are the nation of Israel. We consider this land Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. Uh, Judea and Samaria is the heartland of that region, what is today considered the West Bank. Jordan was also a part of uh, the ancient kingdom of Israel and Judea. And I think to refer to greater Israel would be to go more so in the region of Iraq, which I don't think anyone is pushing for or thinking of. And there's no practical actions I see of, of that happening or of anyone thinking in that way. So in terms of terminology, I would agree with you that this is the, the least important thing to focus on and we should focus on moving forward. Uh, but I would also say that sometimes using the wrong terminology would create and does create division between peoples because when a lot of people on the Israeli side hear certain things being said about them that may be based on many truths but are 
projected in the wrong way that sort of demonizes or antagonizes them, it prevents them from being able to accept uh, certain narratives that they're missing and vice versa. If Palestinians are being antagonized and considered all sorts of things and context is being removed and they're being blamed for all the problems, I think it prevents Palestinians from also hearing the narratives that they're missing. And we tend to have the narrative correct when it comes about us, but tend to have it wrong when it comes to the other. So I do agree that the semantics and the terms are less important, but they are also important because at the end of the day, when we communicate, it's not just to prove a point, it's to be able to find a way for the other to understand what we mean and be able to move forward from there, which most likely to be able to move forward, we agree with. Um, but I think a lot of people on the Israeli side uh, probably oppose Noam's views. Um, and it's not necessarily because of his morals or his conclusions, but sometimes because of certain words that he uses for which I am able to understand why you use those words and what you mean by them, but maybe other people may reject uh, your greater ideas and morals that they may have agreed with just because certain terms are being used that make them feel antagonized. So I do think sometimes terminology is important in order to create a movement to bring people together. And we should keep the terminology to be accurate. Greater yes. Israel is greater Israel. There is a state called Israel it has internationally recognized boundaries. Jews in Israel are moving into areas that are not Israel. It's illegal. It's in violation of international law. Every international institution has made that very clear and explicit. World Court, Security Council, everyone that exists, uh, Israel's own top legal advisor, Theodore Meron, back in the late 60s, in fact, already informed the Israeli government that what they're doing is in beginning to do is in violation of the Geneva Conventions, totally in violation of international law. And when you talk about settlements, you don't want to use the word settlement for the Jews who move illegally into the West Bank. How many Palestinians in the West Bank have set up villages inside Israel? Well, is there parity? No, there's none. And we shouldn't pretend that there is. There's a conquering state, Israel, which is acting in violation of international law. Every international institution has determined that Israel can want, live in a bubble if it wants to, Israeli Jews. But those are the facts. This is an expansion of the state of Israel into territory, uh, that, it, uh, that is not theirs. Uh, they're developed, put hundreds of thousands of people there. There isn't a single Palestinian from the West Bank who can move into Israel proper and set up in a village. In fact, even the, the Palestinians inside Israel get essentially no funding for their own development, uh, urban development and so on. And many of them are being thrown out of their villages and homes, like the Bedouin and in South and in, in the Negev. Uh, there's just absolutely no parity. To talk about this as both sides have grievances is like saying that uh, Native Americans in reservations have grievances and Americans outside the reservations have grievances. Yes, of course. Like I can't go live in a Indian reservation. And in the, I mean, but this is, yes, terminology is appropriate, but it should be 
it should have some relationship to the facts on the ground. So I'll keep using the term greater Israel. I think it is the right term. And I think it is the right term to say that the area from Jordan to the sea is now an area of Jewish supremacy. Inside the legal boundaries of Israel, I gave a couple of examples, could give many more, you can give even more. Uh, inside the West Bank, obviously, inside Gaza, Israel has turned it into a hellhole, barely habitable. And meanwhile, Israel is expanding into the occupied territories illegally, never stopped. Uh, you say the Oslo agreements were a failure. I think they were success. They achieved exactly what Israel wanted. You look at the Declaration of Principles in Oslo, uh, the DOP, which established it. There is no mention of Palestinian national rights. Very carefully, the Israeli negotiators insisted that the only UN Security Council decisions that should be included would be 242 and 338, which have no mention of Palestinian rights. They recognize Palestinians only as refugees. Uh, and that is to be the end goal of the Oslo negotiations as the DOP was established. So was it a failure? Not from the point of view of Israel, it achieved what it wanted. Uh, Rabin, Yisrael, right at the time of the Oslo Agreement, gave orders sharply expanding his Jewish settlement in the occupied territories. And it just goes on from there. We can go through the details if we like. But it's been a totally one-sided uh, uh, operation from the beginning. Not 100%. If you look at, say, American history, you read the Declaration of Independence. It talks, Thomas Jefferson talked about, condemned King George III for unleashing the merciless Indian savages who attacked the peaceful uh, English settlers. That's a disgraceful, shameful statement. He knew perfectly well at the time that he was writing, his own, shortly after, first Secretary of War, they were honest then, Secretary of War, was talking about how we are extirpating the indigenous population by means worse than those of the conquistadors. Jefferson knew that very well when he was writing about the merciless Indian savages. We shouldn't, we shouldn't it was bad enough in the 18th century we shouldn't be duplicating it today. Uh, we should be telling the truth about what's happening and use appropriate terminology to describe it, not hide it under the pretense that there's some kind of equality. Yes, there are things you can blame on all sides, but uh, when it's 90% uh, on one side and 10% on the other, mostly in response to the former, we can't talk about equality. Um, so there's definitely several things that I have to respond to that. Um, from what I know and everything I've read, that greater Israel refers to the Israel that is mentioned in the Bible, from the Nile River to the Euphrates. That is usually what is referred to as greater Israel, not 
greater than what was agreed upon in the partition plan. Um, so we may be using this word differently. Uh, in my opinion, usually it's used as referring to biblical Israel, uh, which in my opinion, even if we go into the Torah, usually refers to the, the descendants of Abraham, which could include also the Arabs within this territory. Um, but Judea and Samaria is the heartland of the civilization of Israel that we're talking as the original descendants of the indigenous populations. When you dig in the line, you find the history of the Jewish people. Uh, and so it's important not to erase our identity and our connection to the land. So that's why I refer to as Israel, what is Israel today, including, in my opinion, not the state, but the land of Israel, Judea and Samaria, that's historic Israel. Um, prior to the colonization of Judea, slash the land of Israel by the Romans, it was considered Israel. So I don't consider that greater Israel. I consider greater Israel to be what is written in the Bible from the Nile River to the Euphrates. But again, we may be defining the term greater Israel differently. Um, you mentioned a lot of things that are illegal. I disagree with you that the right for the Jews to live there are illegal. Um, you know, land, when it is acquired in a defensive war, it is legally allowed to be uh, added on, especially when that land just so happens to be your indigenous land. Unfortunately, there were not any um, ability for people to actually, the, the, the representation of both peoples, which I think for the side of the Palestinians don't really represent the Palestinians, um, they did not come together to try to create a situation that would benefit both peoples and allow both peoples to achieve their aspirations. So I think the situation is completely immoral. Um, but I don't think the situation is illegal. Um, there are many other citations of, uh, you know, the Oslo Accords agreeing to divide the land. And again, I'm against the Oslo Accords. I think they are immoral, but they are not illegal. Uh, also in 1995, there were agreements that the question of Jews being able to live there and to build communities, villages and towns would be uh, up to negotiation and that there would not be any final conclusion. So I think that if we pick and choose certain resolutions and don't include other resolutions or don't include the context, then it's very easy to pre present that something is illegal. But regardless of something being illegal or not, that doesn't mean it's moral or not. Uh, once upon a time, it was illegal for Jews to be alive in Germany. That doesn't make it moral. Uh, once upon a time, it was illegal for uh, people of color in the United States to have equal rights. That doesn't make it moral. So I think it's very important to recognize that the United Nations, in my opinion, is not uh, where we should find what is moral and immoral. At the end of the day, the representatives uh, in the United Nations aren't chosen by the people. They're chosen by politicians, which push their own uh, political objectives, uh, including a lot of the Arab countries that have been traditionally against Israel. So obviously they're going to push things against Israel uh, or the United States, in my opinion, who wants the conflict to continue to continue selling weapons to both sides. So obviously they're going to take positions that allow the conflict to continue. So I don't think the United Nations is really the best place to find what is uh, moral and immoral, maybe illegal or legal, but I think that's less relevant. Um, in terms of uh, Palestinians uh, living in Israel, uh, they have equal rights within Israel. And again, I agree with you that many Palestinians, most Palestinians or all Palestinians cannot go from the West Bank, Judea and Samaria or from Gaza into Israel. And I'm against that. So there are many things that you're saying that I actually agree with you because I don't want a wall. I don't want a division of this land. I want this land to be united. And there are many potential theories of how a solution can look like, which I think uh, later on in the conversation, we should definitely not miss the opportunity to engage with and discuss. Um, but also Israelis cannot move into certain areas. You mentioned Bedouins being removed. Uh, they're removed when they build illegally uh, because they build without permits or without buying land. Uh, that's why they're getting removed. Now, if one should get removed or not, I think it's important to mention what is happening that creates that situation. I think it's in, in, 
extremely insensitive to compare the Jewish people to the Americans uh, because the Jewish people are native and are indigenous to the land. Uh, we are the pre-colonial identity prior to the colonization of the land by the Romans. Uh, we are an identity that has a right in every single way to be able to live there and express self-determination and to compare an ethnic conflict between cousins and populations that should live there equally to uh, colonial settler uh, you know, evil imperial regimes that came and did horrible things uh, in the name of, of, of colonialism, I think is very insensitive to the situation and further uh, makes Israelis not want to open up to the valid criticisms you have of the Israeli government in the situation because you don't consider also their narrative and their right to exist. I completely agree that the situation in Gaza is horrible, which you uh, mentioned. In terms of occupation, I think, again, it depends how one uses the term occupation. If one uses the term occupation in terms of control, well, the Hashemite Kingdom is occupying Jordan. Israel government is occupying uh, Israel proper area C and partially area uh, B. Then the Palestinian Authority is occupying area A and Hamas is occupying Gaza. Uh, but I think when we tend to use the term occupation only for one people and not actually break down, what is the actual situation? How is it divided and why is it wrong? I think it does an injustice to the situation and being able to uh, move forward. I think uh, you know, the reason for why people were pushing the Oslo Accords is to create a two-state solution. This has been the position and also the objective, I think, of many Israeli politicians, which I very much so oppose. And I think in my opinion and in my experience, uh, most Israelis and most Palestinians disagree with the two-state solution. Um, unfortunately, we haven't on the pop cultural level yet uh, been able to break those taboos of being able to have discussions together of how do we really uh, reconcile the situation, understand each other's suffering, identities and aspirations, and build a reality that moves towards that. Uh, but I think that's the only way. And if that was done in 48, uh, we would have been able to get there. But I think, unfortunately, in 48, there were many forces, uh, also individuals in the Palestinian camp and in the Israeli camp. Uh, but mostly, I think the British who, as they did everywhere in the world, were from Nigeria to Afghanistan to Pakistan, India, uh, divided and conquered and convinced the Israeli population that the their enemy and the reason for why they can't or wouldn't be able to get self-determination were the Arabs and Palestinians and convinced the Palestinians and Arabs that their enemies were the Jews and that they were trying to uh, push the interest of the West into the Middle East. And this is exactly what they did to other places, convinced that we're each other's worst enemies. And that led to us actually fighting in several wars that led to displacement, that led to a Nakba, that led to many things that have to be recognized uh, and healed. But I think when we don't include the entire context and understanding that it was never the intention of either side to just completely annihilate the other, um, then we're actually not able to heal and being able to, to move forward. Um, I never said that we're equally suffering. Um, I do agree that Palestinians, for the most part, usually are suffering way more than Israelis. The reality is that the Israelis have, for, for the most part, a, a very comfortable lives. And I think sometimes a little bit too comfortable because we get comfortable with the wall and other things. Uh, and I often criticize the wall and usually I get a lot of pushback from people in Israel because they've never even entertained the idea of how unjust this wall is and how we have to have it removed eventually. Um, so I think that there are many conversations that have to be had, but I would go even further. I would say Israel with the position that it's currently in, which is in a position of power, which has not been the situation in the case historically. In 48, I would not say that Israel was in the position of power when compared to the conflict that was happening. Uh, but today it is with that power has a greater responsibility to be able to actually fix the problems that exist. It should be investing in Palestinian education. It should be investing in infrastructure. It should be allowing the, the freedom of speech, not only for uh, Israelis and Jews living in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, but also Palestinians. 
I'm part of a movement called Habayit that works very closely and, and hard to unite Israelis and Palestinians on the grassroots level, not on the political um, uh, level, and not from the top, but more so from the bottom up. And oftentimes when I do work with Palestinians, I have to blur out their faces when I post pictures, or if someone snitches on them, they disappear for two weeks and then have to lay low because of the consequences that comes with normalizing relations. And I think Israel should play responsibility to protecting those Palestinians to be able to say what they want when they want. And that's not a reality that Palestinians have. And that's something that many Israelis don't understand of what Palestinians go through. So I think there are many things that Israelis have to do or the Israeli government has to do that they're failing in doing so in order to change the situation and eventually to remove the wall, to remove the checkpoints, to remove the IDF, uh, to create a reality where we can all experience this as our land. And there are, again, many theories of how to get there. But until we start realizing that the only way we move forward is together, we can never take the first step in order to get there and figure out what are the obstacles on the on 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 the way and how do we overcome them and i think that is the main problem where there's a there's a greater holistic truth and the greater truth actually includes both truth and what i recognize from those that are uh, extremely zionist or extremely anti-zionist is usually they will get again their side of the story the palestinian side or the israeli side correct but they will get the other side incorrect and use terms and definitions and words that demonize them, antagonize them, and get people to the conclusion that there's a good guy and a bad guy. There's no good guy and bad guy. Both our populations are human beings. Both populations are not going to disappear. Both populations have to be taken into consideration. And the conflict is the bad guy. The people profiting from this conflict, we can say governments, we can say uh, America, we can say many things. The people that are, we can say corporations, the people that are profiting are the bad guys. Uh, but the populations are the good guys. And until both recognize that and realize that, I think it's very hard to be able to move forward. Well, there are two levels of discussion here. One is about the facts on the ground and what should be done with it. Turn to that in a minute. A second is questions of what terminology to use to describe what's happening. Here, uh, you can decide that you are willing to live in a bubble as distinct from the entire world. You're free to do that. There are three notions that came up. The biblical rights which have absolutely no status, none. Nobody in the world can say 2,000 years ago, here's my story of what happened, so therefore I'm, I have a right to do it now. You can't live in a world like that. Nobody in the world ever makes such a claim. You want to make it, okay, but then just admit I'm out of the world, I'm distinct from the world. Now, yes, totally distinct. If you really want to play that game, the Palestinians have more of a right to claim to be descendants of the population from 2,000 years ago than I do. My ancestors probably come from the Caucasus. Their ancestors come from Palestine. The, the Canaanim were correct about this. Uh, so you don't want to get into that game. Uh, biblical rights have no status. Now let's turn to legality and occupation. There is a hundred percent agreement among all relevant international institutions, not just the United Nations Security Council, including the United States and unanimous declarations, but the International Court of Justice, the World Court, uh, the uh, Red Cross, which administers the Geneva Conventions, Israel's own top 
legal authorities all agree that the Jewish settlements in the West Bank are in violation of international law. 100% agreement. Israel doesn't agree, fine. Israeli Jews want to live in some little bubble of their own. They're entitled to do so. But you can't overlook the fact that the entire, that every relevant international institution disagrees on the question of legality. Same with occupation. Every relevant international institution recognizes that Israel is occupying not only the West Bank, but that it's also the occupying authority in Gaza. So as far as terms go, the correct terms are greater Israel, Israel's illegal expansion into the West Bank, it's hundreds of thousands of settlers there. That's all part of a greater Israel that Israel intends to integrate within Israel proper and is developing the infrastructure and the programs to do so. There is no counterpart on the Palestinian side. No Palestinians can move to the West Bank, set up a village, get subsidized to live there, and build a highway to go to Nablus. I mean, it's ridiculous to compare them. So it's yes, it's occupied territory. It's illegal. Uh, the Bible has no nothing to say about this, nor does the fact that uh, uh, the Romans took some of the elites out of Israel, of Palestine at that, at whatever you want to call it, that time, and took them to Rome, left leaving the population behind. And that happens to be the history, but it's not relevant to the current situation. Now, with regard to the current situation, yes. There are things that should be done within Israel proper, Israel within its legally established boundaries. Israel should take strong measures to overcome the radical discrimination against Palestinians. That means leaving the land open to Palestinian settlement means that if a Palestinian couple wants to move into Katsir, they don't have to get a decision of the Supreme Court and uh, then have it delayed by all sorts of administrative means and all sorts of funny tricks to prevent it from happening to ensure that roughly 90% of the land stays uh, free of Palestinians, of indigenous population. Israel should start uh, providing the same kind of support for Palestinian, Arab village, Palestinians in Israel, as it does for Jewish citizens within Israel. It's radically different. I'll give you the figures if you want, but those are the facts. Israel should stop its brutal driving of uh, Palestinian, of Bedouin out of their villages, uh, sometimes dozens of times sending the Israeli army to destroy the villages, should also stop doing that. Nothing like that ever happens for a Jewish settlement. Okay, so within Israel, there are many steps that can be made to turn Israel into a democratic society with equal rights for its citizens. In the West Bank, Israel should stop the illegal settlement, should my, if, if settlers want to stay there in a Palestinian state, I think they have a right to, but they have no other rights. It's all takeover of everything of value, the Jordan Valley, 
the major towns that have been developed, Maladumim, uh, Ariel, the the uh, uh, the uh, uh, con the connections between them, which by by fact several times break up the West Bank and the settled parts of the West Bank into unviable districts, the hundreds of uh, isolated villages surrounded by Israeli troops and checkpoints, and what's happening in Kalkilia, all of that should be dismantled. Okay, In Gaza, Israel should stop the policy of torturing Gaza to the point where it is literally at the level of survival. We can go back over the record, but it's a very ugly one. So yes, all of these things should be done on the ground, and we should not mislead ourselves by inventing our own terminology as distinct from that of the entire world and every legal authority in the world, if we want to discuss the situation accurately. A perfectly accurate description, I think, not going into legalities, is the B'Tselem description. There is a region of Jewish supremacy from the Jordan to the sea. It is wrong on every level. Most of it's illegal by all international standards. And much of it is wrong, and that should be overcome. So to go back, there's a level of terminology where we should be accurate, there's a level of practice where there are a great number of things to do. Overwhelmingly, the responsibility of uh, Jewish Israelis, their responsibility to do all of the things that I mentioned. Yes, you can say Hamas is terrible. Yes, it is. Uh, Palestinians have done bad things in the West Bank. Yes, they have. But it's nowhere near parity. There's overwhelming responsibility of those who have the guns, the wealth, the privilege, they're the ones who have to undertake it. Just as in the United States, it's the privileged white population that has to undertake the problem of overcoming racism, not a black kid who uh, uh, robbed the store. Yeah, he shouldn't have robbed the store, but there's no parity. And it's very similar to what's happening in Israel. So again, there's the question of accurate terminology describing what's happen, happening, putting aside irrelevant sources like uh, biblical Israel, which has no meaning today. And there is uh, the problem of dealing with the issues on the ground. On the latter, we may substantially disagree, although agree, although disagreeing on who has the major responsibility, which seems to me perfectly plain, uh, but on the terminological side, there's simply a choice. Do we establish a special terminology that Israeli Jews hold on to in violation of the entire world? I don't think it's right. I don't think it's wise. I don't think it's wise for Israeli Jews to isolate themselves from the entire world and turn the country into a pariah state which is what is happening. We shouldn't overlook the fact that the policies, kind of policies you're advocating, are driving Israel, or even driving the American Jewish community away from Israel. That was predicted back in the 70s. 
It is now happening before our eyes. We should not blind ourselves to the consequences of the measures that have been taken to prefer expansion over security and uh, diplomatic settlement. It was a very, it was a wrong decision. It was a unwise decision. It has been followed now for 40 years, and we're seeing the results of it. Uh, th- thank you, Noam Rudy. Real quick, just because we're running low on time, and I-, I want us to be able to, you know, summarize and give final thoughts in-, in an organized way. Obviously, we could keep doing this back and forth for many more hours. Um, so I, I just want to ask, no- Noam, I want to ask you a quick follow-up. And then- I, know, I, know. I, do, I do have to address a lot of the points here. I'll try to do it as fast as possible. Um, and they're not new points that I'm going to bring up. It's just my position on the points that were said because there was new information addressed. Yeah, but you, you do realize that by the time you do that, the norm will have to go and then, you know, we're we're done. So that, that's fine. But there were things that were said that have to be addressed. And, I, you know, so, I, so that, that's fine. I, I, I'll give you time to address that. I just want one quick follow up question for Norm because he did say something that I, that I think will. It sounded like he he alluded to uh, the Khazar theory, so I just want to get clarity yeah. on that because I think it's it's interesting, and I, I just want that point on the record. So, um, no, I mean, I, I personally don't think that uh, a group's blood quantum determines their right to a land or not. Like, I, I don't think that should be relevant, so I think we're in agreement there. But I, from what I do know, you know, recent DNA tests do show that Ashkenazi mm-hmm. Jews he would be in disagreement. He said that the Jews have less. No, no, no. I, I, well, I, I'm in agreement that I don't think genetics is what give people the right to a land or not. So in that sense, we're in agreement. But where, where I think we're in disagreement, unless he has new information, and I'd, I'd like to get clarity on this, it seems like recent DNA tests have shown that Ashkenazi Jews, who seem to be even less Middle Eastern than Mizrahi or Sephardic Jews, have around 50% Levantine DNA and the other 50% is European, but, and, and Palestinians are also, they have DNA of ancient Israelites and partial from um, Arab conquerors who took over the land. So it, it seems like we were both a mix between um, ancient Jewish populations as well as a mix of others. But you mentioned that we're primarily caucus. Were, were you alluding to what is known as the Khazar theory or did you mean something else by that? Sorry, I didn't hear the last phrase. What, what, are you familiar with the Khazar theory? There, there's a theory, it's widely accepted as anti-Semitic, that, that, Jew, that Ashkenazi Jews come from the Khazars and they don't, they're not Levantine. But it's, DNA it's, tests... It's not anti-Semitic, it's a question of fact. So uh, Shlomo San, for example, has argued that, I think probably exaggerated, but it's simply a question of fact. If my ancestors from the Ukraine have Khazar uh, roots, changes nothing. I'm Jewish. My grandfather was Jewish. Uh, uh, He, my family, happens to have a uh, story saying that we're descended from the Baal Shem Tov. Okay, that's part of the culture. Doesn't matter what the DNA shows. Uh, We live, I mean, this is a point that Achad made uh, over a century ago, and his lectures on the two Moseses. He says, yes, there's a Moses of history, which who may have existed, may not have existed. There's a Moses of culture, and that exists as a cultural phenomenon. And it's the 
cultural phenomenon within our cultural tradition, whoever Moses might have been and if he even existed. Yes, that's true. We live in a world of cultural traditions. Makes no difference what the DNA says. So, okay, if the DNA says we're not descended from the Baal Shem Tov, uh, hence back to King David, uh, but we're descended from somebody in the Caucasus, makes absolutely no difference to our identity. We just stop this silly game altogether. It's maybe of some scholarly historical interest, but of no significance for the modern world. The modern world is the cultural entities that we're part of, okay? Uh, social and cultural entities. And the, uh, so we should throw all that aside. Put, you know, they can play with it in biology labs in Israel where they're intent on showing something absurd. Uh, but we live in this world with its own cultural, social, political structures. And in this world, I'm Jewish, no matter what the, what the uh, DNA shows. Uh, there is an actual existing world in Israel-Palestine. I've already reviewed briefly what it is. Sharp discrimination against Palestinians within Israel, illegal settlements uh, in occupied West Bank, destruction of Gaza. Those are the major phenomena we have to deal with. And there are ways to deal with them. And talking about what happened in the Bible is not going to help. So I'd like to... Be yeah, Rudy, to feel, feel free to respond. Just keep in mind we're short on time. So try to... Yeah. There, there were two rants being said without me being able to address them. So I'll try to do it as fast as possible. Um, you know, I very much so respect you, Noam, or Professor, Professor Chomsky. Um, but you're doing to me what I think uh, uh, Dershowitz did to you back in Harvard in 2005, claiming that I'm living in my own world. That's what Dershowitz did to you. And I think that was wrong. I think that the uh, content of your argument should have been discussed and not trying to demonize you or make you seem as someone that's uh, outside of reality or make me seem that I'm outside of reality. Uh, I was in Silwan uh, two days ago. I often go to Kfar Hussan. Uh, I've served in the IDF. I live in Israel. Um, I'm someone who's on the ground. So I definitely, even though we may disagree, don't think it's accurate to claim that I live in a bubble uh, of all people. If anyone goes on Google and types in greater Israel, you will see from the Nile River to the Euphrates, what you're referencing is biblical Israel. I never referenced the Bible. I never referenced biblical Israel. What I'm saying is your use of the word greater Israel, if anyone Googles, they'll see that that's referencing the Bible. What I'm talking about is historic Israel, not biblical Israel. The fact is that the Jewish people descend from a civilization from Judea and Samaria and from the rest of Israel. And that's a fact. It's a fact linguistically. It's a fact uh, through anthropology, through archaeology, uh, through genetics, through uh, ancient history, through records, uh, through the fact that we've had a constant presence. It is a fact that the Jewish people come from this land and that we are indigenous to this land. And anyone debating that is trying to uh, wash away our identity and our rights to exist. So I think it's very important to mention that. Uh, in terms of Palestinians, I think it's very interesting that a third of their DNA uh, on average is Jewish DNA because many of them were Arabized and also converted to Islam or converted to Christianity during the different invasions and uh, crusaders and conquest of the land by different imperial forces that were foreign. Uh, I think it's horrible that you actually agree with the Khazarian theory. I didn't know that you did. 
seeds. So uh, many geneticists, not based in Israel, but, you know, the head geneticist of Columbia University, which I met just three weeks ago while I was in New York, uh, has done an extensive amount of research uh, showing that the uh, Khazarians are not anyway connected to the Jewish people genetically. There's no proof that shows that. Even linguistically, wherever the Jews spent a, a period of time, we picked up elements of their language. That's why the Sephardic Jews spoke Ladino, a mixture of Latin and Hebrew, and the Ashkenazi Jews spoke uh, Yiddish, a mixture of German and Hebrew, or the Ashkenazi Jews living uh, in Russia also added elements of Russian because wherever we were living, we added words that were relevant to the experience that we had. There are no elements of any other languages uh, connecting to the Khazarians. I did not ever reference the Torah. I did not ever reference the Bible. But since you brought up the Canaanites, the Canaanites is from the Torah. Uh, there is one physical proof of Canaanites existing, and that from some archaeological findings that they found in a stone that was found in Egypt, but doesn't mention where they lived or when they lived or who they were, just mentions that they existed. The only narrative that the Canaanites existed in the land of what we call Israel, the Levant, Palestine, whatever one wants to call, is from the Torah. But if you use the Torah as a source, you also have to include that in the Torah. It talks about the Canaanites being the descendants of Canaan, uh, which is a person who descends from Ham, which is a person from Africa. So the Canaanites in the Torah, in the source that you brought up, because if you're bringing the Canaanites living there, you're sourcing the Torah. The Canaanites were actually foreigners from Africa that came and took the land of Ever and his descendants, which were the Hebrews, which Abraham is actually a descendant of. I did not bring up the Bible, but anyone bringing up the Canaanites is bringing up the Bible as a source because, again, the only way we know that Canaanites even existed in that land is from the Torah. I don't think at all indigeneity is based on blood quantum. And Adal, I think you mistakenly said that uh, uh, you agree, whereas uh, Noam said that, you know, he compared the Palestinians having more blood that is connected to the ancient Israelites than the Jews, which is A, factually incorrect, and B, uh, indigeneity is not based on uh, blood quantum. That is often something used to eliminate identities of indigenous peoples, especially Native Americans. Uh, you know, I, I don't have to, I have to finish. We may go to no, 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 no. But but Rudy, you and I can stay on after, so we'll still have time to continue talking. It's just Noam needs to run. So I, you know, look. Noam, no, can you stay on for another three minutes to, for me to be able to finish the, the points? Yes. First but, of, but, if, we look I, back, if you look back at this conversation, you're the one who introduced the Bible, not me. No, I, I said that, the, that the, yeah. when you mentioned right. Greater Israel, the reference to That's the Bible. Simple to check. I did not, I did not use the Bible as a source. Okay, me, look, let's, let's, let let's just, just say two sentences. Wait, you, wait, so you introduced I, I, you introduced like the Bible, not me. Secondly, whether you call it biblicalist or Israel or historic Israel, it is equally irrelevant. What happened 2,000 years ago, we can debate about it, has no significance. Not the the connection except, other except, guys, 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 it's except not. In a sense, there is a cultural tradition. DNA makes not the slightest difference. There's a cultural tradition, which I'm part of, whatever my DNA shows, and that, you can say, gives Jews the right to some form of self-determination in some of the areas that is part of their cultural history. You can say that, and I've said it all along. But now, putting aside the total irrelevance of what happened a couple thousand years ago. Nobody in the world ever appeals to such things. So putting that away and looking at the current situation, 
we have what I describe sharp discrimination against Palestinians within Israel, illegal occupation. You don't like the term greater Israel, which is used generally, find some other term, but it's illegal occupation, illegal in accord with every single relevant international institution, bar none, and it's one-sided. Jews go into the West Bank, nothing the other way. So in Israel proper, overcome the sharp discrimination in the West Bank, put an end to the illegal activities in Gaza, put an end to the actions which are blockading it, destroying it, turning into a territory that is totally unlivable. Those are the realities of today. Talking about what might or might not have happened 2,000 years ago has essentially no bearing on that. So I, I appreciate you being able to stay on for me to be able to conclude my responses to now your third free time ability to speak. Uh, while I would like to respond to those respectfully, of course, um, I think you're erasing indigenous identity. I think you're picking and choosing when you can apply indigeneity to a population and when not. If uh, a group of one of the tribes or the First Nations of the Native yeah. Americans are Canadian, picking and choosing. I think you're picking and choosing because when it comes to any other indigenous populations, their connection to the land, their constant presence on that land, their culture, their identity, their pre-colonial identity matters. But when it comes to the Jewish people, it doesn't matter if it's five years, 10 years, 100 years. It's a fact that the Jewish people oh, have existed on the land. I suggested that American Indians take oh, over no, the I'd, I'd open this this conversation to going further than the next three minutes, but I would like to be able to finish my points. And I don't want to talk over you. I respect you as an intellectual um, and as someone who has you know very strong opinions and respected opinions uh, amongst the community. Um, so I do think that you're erasing the specific Jewish indigeneity to the land just because there's a period of time for which our people were colonized, uh, both physically, mentally, uh, spiritually, in many single ways, but there was always the constant presence of the Jewish people. I don't think any scientist today uh, that's considered relevant in the international community disagrees that the Jewish people descend from Judea, from that civilization before it was colonized by the Romans, which called it Palestine. Uh, I don't think anyone disagrees that the Jewish people are indigenous to the land. That doesn't mean that other people aren't also connected and also have rights and also have claims and also have uh, the right to self-determination. We're not using this as a, as a tool to fight against another people. We're using this as an ability to express the fact that we exist here too and have always existed here and will always exist here. Uh, so that's a very important uh, point to make. So you mentioned also being against the removing of Bedouin villages or Palestinians. Uh, I, I'm against that, but I'm also against the removal of Jewish villages, which again, that's a double standard because you're against when one people are removed, but when it comes to the Jews, you're not against that, which by the way, you said that it's never happened. There have been plenty of Israeli communities that have been displaced and removed. Yes, they were built without permits. So Ill illegally, not necessarily immorally, but they were also removed. Um, I'm not inventing terminology. I think terminology is being used in this conversation as a double standard. Again, anyone talking about greater Israel is referring to what's biblical Israel in the sense of what God promises to Abraham. That's why we should not be using greater Israel because you Google it and you'll find greater Israel means that. I did not use the Bible as a source. I used, I mentioned the Bible to discuss how greater Israel is referencing the Bible and not the historic Israel and reality. So I did not mention the Bible as a source and I never do. And I'm very careful not to, unless someone else 
uses it and tries to use the, the, the Bible out of context, such as the Canaanite theory. Uh, B'Tselem, we may agree to disagree, but it's uh, uh, an organization that, in my opinion, is very anti-Israel and doesn't have the objective of being able to move forward. Uh, use a lot of words like supremacy. Um, you know, you talk about black rights, you talk about Native Americans, you talk about racism, you talk about all these things. And I think, in my opinion, it's a way to hijack the suffering that other communities face in order to garner support from those communities or for those that are sympathetic to their struggles in order to get people to your conclusions. I don't think we should be appropriating other struggles, especially when they are so different from the realities that it's an ethnic conflict. The Jews and the Palestinians come from this land have always come from this land and will forever come from and belong to this land. So to compare the situation with systemic racism and with supremacy and with you know different things, Native Americans going through ethnic cleansing and so on that have happened, I think is not only inaccurate, uh, but insensitive to the experiences of those populations. And it is an attempt to, again, find a way to pinpoint and connect the Jewish people to a common suffering, which in my opinion, you may disagree again, is the formula for anti-Semitism, to find the source of suffering and pain of a community and find a way to either blame the Jews for that or attach the Jews to that idea. And we see that with blaming the Jews for the murder of Jesus. Uh, we see that with the Black Plagues. We see that with the Spanish Inquisition. We see that with uh, post-World War One, with the blaming of the Jews on the economic situation uh, with uh, with Nazi Germany. We see that of blaming the Jews from the right to the left, you know, either they're communist or they're capitalist. And we see more of the same today happening in intellectual spaces of going to all these different minority groups, using their terms, using their experiences, whether in the past or today, and finding a way to attach them to Israel in order to, in my opinion, wash away what is really happening in order to create uh, a zero-sum game, whether intentional or not. Um, you said that Israel has the guns and the power. I, I Look, I have three, three last points. I definitely agree, um, which is why I constantly say that Israel has to take the greater responsibility, which they are failing to do so. And I often criticize the Israeli government, including Bibi Netanyahu, for their failure to do so over the years, including today. Um, I think that the reason for why so many American Jews are being isolated stems from the climate becoming more and more anti-Jewish, uh, anti-Semitism rising. You have 9% of the population in, in New York, over 50% of the hate crimes are against Jews. So anti-Semitism is rising uh, on college campuses and in the society, and Jews are forced to take a position that is usually a position that people that experience tremendous amount of trauma do, which is to take positions that side with the oppression of their collective goal, whether they are conscious to it or not. It's the same thing that women go through unfortunately when they're in an abusive relationship there are those that stand up and fight back there are those that pretend it doesn't exist and there are those that side and, and actually blame themselves for the problems and i think there are many reasons why jews become anti-israel including the fact that in the zionist israeli narrative they don't include the palestinian narrative which is a, a big crime that exists and has to be undone and that's also why many people go there and the other reasons shlomo sand written many books, including that the Jewish people are invented, every single one of his books. And again, everyone, Google Shlomo San, look at the books that he's written, look at the things he says. Everything that he does and supports is to try to delegitimize, demonize, and hold double standards to the Jewish people. You're picking and choosing which researcher, which Israeli, which Israeli organization. Um, I'm not bringing up any of these organizations because I'm trying to speak factual and not pick and choose certain individuals to uh, sort of justify my position. Um, you know, Genetic evidence proves that the Jews are the descendants of Israel. I don't know uh, how you take the position of uh, the Khazar theory, which is the last point I want to make, where even Arthur Kessler himself, who wrote uh, the 13th tribe, which is what created this idea that the Jews are descendants from the Khazars, in a speech later said in his life that he made that up in order for the Jews to be accepted in the white society and to make them seem as they were a part of the white society. But it backfired because a lot of people started using that to delegitimize their claim to the land of Israel, which has been historically 
proven, not biblically proven, historically through the fact that we have uh, archaeology, the yeah. fact that we have a constant presence, the fact that we have also genetics, although genetics doesn't define one's indigeneity or not, which is not an argument Marie, that I made, but Marie, an argument that I We got to wrap it up. I really don't want to interrupt you. We just, we're, we're 11 minutes over. You and I can... So, you, so you, to respect, respect the time, um, I just want to say that it's important to you know have a nuanced conversation in these. And I hope maybe that uh, me and Noam can have a second part to this conversation and more so focus on how do we move forward uh, from here? Because I think on those issues, we probably would agree on a lot, maybe a disagree on a lot as well. And I think it's also a constructive conversation to have. So I invite you, Noam, to a part two of this conversation focused on today and the future, uh, if you'd like to join. Just one sentence brief. Sure. First, the term greater Israel has nothing to do with the Bible, nothing to do with what might have happened 2,000 years ago. In fact, I've never heard that suggested until you brought it up. Greater Israel refers to what is happening on the ground. It's a description of what is happening as Israel has moved systematically to integrate parts of the West Bank illegally into Israel itself. That's what greater Israel means. No genetics, no history, no Bible. That it's illegal is not a matter of selecting sources. It is selecting 100% of the sources outside of the Israeli high court. Outside of that, there's 100% agreement, including the highest Israeli legal authorities like Theodore Meron, that it is illegal. No debate about that. We can um, put aside genetics. We can put aside stories about what happened 2,000 years ago. We can look just at what is happening on the ground, and it is very clear, no selectivity within Israel itself. There is sharp discrimination against Palestine, Palestinians, which should be overcome. In the West Bank, there are totally illegal activities going on, which are creating a greater Israel integrated within Israel. In Gaza, it's a horror story. As far as American opinion is concerned, you're totally wrong. I live with this constantly. The shift from admiring Israel as a wonderful social democratic state in the 70s, declining later, took a sharp step backwards when Israel began its murderous activities in Gaza. I saw it right in front of my eyes. When I was giving talks on Israel-Palestine, I used to have police protection to protect it against Jewish violence. After caste led, shifted radically. Israel became a pariah, and it shifted very sharply. It has nothing to do with anti-Semitism in the United States, which is there, but pretty marginal. Much worse in my childhood, much worse when I went to Harvard in the 50s very much worse then. That's not changed. What's changed is the activities of Israel. If Israelis want to blind themselves to the consequences of what they're doing, it's their choice, they're going to suffer from it. No, I mean, if, if you're already on a few minutes extra, maybe it's a little uh, bit chutzpah, but um, I, you know, many Israelis, what they say is, and, and this is 
comes from an honest place amongst Israelis. What can we actually do to make a difference? The, the onus is on them because we've tried and they keep rejecting peace. This is a legitimately very popular opinion amongst Israelis. So I know you have to go, but if you could maybe respond in just a few words, what you think Israel can do today to actually progress peace in a viable sense, I, I think our viewers would love to hear that. Adal, I just want to get 60 seconds and you can open no, no, the timer. No, no, he, he, Rudy, you and, I can, you, you and I can stay on after. You and I can stay on after. Adal, other people won't stay on after. He said one sentence they, and he said sentences. It was a very no, long no. sentence. R- Rudy, let, Adal, 60 Rudy, seconds to respond. Rudy, I, I keep my quiet. No, that's fine. I'm, I'm, I, as the moderator, am now asking Norm a question. He needs to run. We didn't. We, we didn't get to do. We didn't get to do solutions because we got caught up in semantics. I'm now taking con- control over this. Okay. You, if you look at the timer, I've spoken less than the the counterpart, and that's fine. But I just want 60 seconds to be able to respond. Rudy, no, no, Rudy. It's it's it's. We're already in a semantic argument about Greater Israel. I w- I want to let Noam go. I want to let Noam go. I want to hear his thoughts, and then we can continue. And I hope the audience stays on. It seems like on viewers, we're still over a thousand people. It hasn't gone down. People are going to stick around. He spoke. I would like just sixty seconds to be able to respond. That's it. A- Even look. after after Noam after Noam. I have other points coming. Want me to answer a question? Yeah, yes, yes, please. Yes, please. And I'll have to leave, and you can go on if you like. Sure. Uh, The uh, within Israel proper, it's Israel's business, just like it's the business of other countries to deal with the improper activities that are taking place within them. So I I think I have opinions about what Israel ought to do, but it's up to Israel to rectify the sharp discrimination against Palestinians within Israel. In the occupied territories, it's an international problem. Everyone has a stake. The fact that 100% of relevant opinion regards it as an Israeli occupation and illegal activities in the occupied territories makes it an international problem. And there, what Israel should stop to do is, first of all, stop the savage destruction of Gaza, allow Gazans to live like human beings in the West Bank, put an end to the programs of creating a greater Israel, which I say again, has nothing to do with the Bible or history, but with the reality on the ground, put an end to that, allow the Palestinians self-determination. I have my own views as to how the outcome should be, but we haven't gone into that and it's not really relevant. That's it. That's what Israel should do. And I'm afraid I'll have to leave. Noam, thank you so much for your time. It was a great pleasure. um, And it seems like our viewers really enjoyed it um, as well. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Noam, for for engaging. Thank you. How do I leave? You just click X out and you should be uh, off. Uh, so, can you hear yeah, me though? Yeah, Rudy. Sorry, sorry, we had to get into that. Just, I, I just want to share with you, and please, everyone, stand because we're still going to have an interesting conversation. Look, um, this conversation—it it started off, I thought, very well. It was very interesting. Eventually, it got a little bit caught up in semantics, and I feel like I didn't do a good enough job cutting certain things short because just the fact, just the amount of times that the word "Greater Israel" was brought up. 
it, to me, to me that that's just a waste of time. So I feel like I, in a sense, failed to, to keep it directed, you know, going in the right direction. Now, I really wanted to get Noam's opinion on what what Israelis can actually do, because most Israelis think that there's nothing they can do and the onus is entirely on the Palestinians. So I did want to get that from him before he went. I do realize that you want to respond. That being said, almost the entire audience is still here. And I don't know if you're going to change Noam's mind, you know, at the age of 92, but his viewers are still here and this is an opportunity to engage with them. So I hope you can understand where I'm coming from. Um, and also, I, I think he may have spoke for longer, but you speak much faster. So I think you guys put in the same amount of words all in all. Rants that were uninterrupted. And for me, I couldn't even have my rant within those three rants uninterrupted. And I can't ever have a response. And you brought up a new conversation that has to have been equally addressed by both peoples. You're asking a question about the future and the onus of where we're putting the responsibility. And, you know, it's it's an equal conversation. So he did speak longer. Every single time that he spoke, I never interrupted him. Uh, he did interrupt me. And you also, I don't think it was fair at all to, to cut me off and at least give me 60 seconds to respond to what was a very long one sentence that he claimed. So maybe I would be able to do that today. Uh, I do agree that we spoke about greater Israel for way too long. Um, and that's because I said that I disagree with his definition and that's fine. We can define it differently as long as we clarify what we define it as, which I understand his position, but he kept saying that I was wrong. Anyone and everyone, Google greater Israel and you will see a map that stretches from the Nile River to the Euphrates. It is the map that Abraham is promised by God in the Bible of what Israel will be, which in my opinion is for the descendants of Abraham, which are the Arabs and the Jews and other populations living in the region. But anyone referring to greater Israel knows that that's what it is. It's not referring to Judea and Samaria. It's referring to past Jordan, past uh, the Sinai, what is considered Sinai today. That is what greater Israel is today. Um, anyone can Google that and figure it out. I think anyone saying that 100% of the sources or 100% of the people that believe in me and believe in this narrative, it, we have to be a little bit careful uh, to agree with that. Anyone saying that 100% of the doctors, 100% of the researchers, 100%, there's usually something fishy uh, in that argument. There are many people saying that it is not illegal, many people saying that it is illegal. In my opinion, if we go through actually what is illegal and is not, uh, the situation is not illegal. But the situation is extremely immoral, and I'm very much so against the situation and try to help us move forward from that situation. But in my opinion, the, the term of using it as illegal is a way to delegitimize or make Israel look like the bad guy. And again, I don't think either side is the bad guy. I think the conflict is the bad guy and the people profiting from this conflict are the bad uh, are the bad guys. Um, to, to, to finish off. Um, you know, he said, yeah, I've seen it with my own eyes. I think we've all seen suffering. I know personally six friends of mine or family friends uh, that have been killed uh, from this conflict, whether at war or from terrorism. So we've all lost lives and people that are close to us, been to funerals, had to uh, say sorry and uh, show our condolences to mothers and fathers that have lost their children or to children that have lost their fathers and mothers. Um, but the reality is, you know, we can't use those situations and those experiences of suffering and experiences of a reality that exists that is ugly to try to say, I know better than the other person. I don't know what Professor Chomsky or as he likes for me to call him, Noam has experience, and I won't claim to know more. Uh, I don't think that he should claim to know more. I think he should stick on the facts uh, rather than sourcing, you know, very select individuals like Shlomo Sand or B'Tselem or, you know, selecting. And, and I saw him doing this with Dershowitz back in 2005 on YouTube as well. He selects certain 
intellectuals or certain researchers that fit his narrative rather than objectively reviewing the facts and including all narratives in order to try to find a way to move forward. Uh, but I do agree that I wish the conversation went more into how do we figure out the way to move forward and bring people together, which is what I do on a day-to-day -day basis with Israelis and Palestinians. Um, and I think that maybe we can get him on to a future conversation to discuss that. But my only condition in coming on to a future conversation would be that if he has the rights to speak as long as he wants, um, I should have also the rights to speak uninterrupted uh, as long as I want. And of course, I will make sure of time and not to go over or exaggerate as opposed to what he spoke. Yeah, I, I hear that. And look, you know, I, I do accept any critique you give me on, on my moderation. I will watch it back to see if there's something I could learn from this. I'm not, based off how it feels to me right now, I don't think he spoke more than you. That, that's just the impression I have. It seems like it was pretty balanced. There was one time when he cut you off. That's true. You didn't cut him off. He cut you off three times. Three times he went on a rant, <laughs> being able to finish my response to his original rant. Right. He 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 went he went on a monologue. I asked him a follow up. He went on another monologue, which is okay because I asked him a question, and then you were responding, and he cut you off. True, but. Um, I, I do think total speaking time was pretty even. Also, keep in mind, bro, you speak like three times as fast as him. So it's like, you know, you get, you get a lot of words. In. For me, I, we would do this for hours and, and let him get as much time as he needs in order to communicate. For I understand sure. he's very. Um, but again, in order to be able to communicate respectfully to both sides, he goes uninterrupted and then I go uninterrupted. And I take notes on everything that he says and I disagree with uh, to be able to address it. And if he can memorize it, uh, then he should memorize it and be able to respond to my points. You know, I welcome that. Is there, do you have any like positive takeaways, something you think that uh, he helped you shift your perspective potentially, something you learned? Um, I don't think necessarily, I mean, I, I learned more of his positions, more of what Noam Chomsky thinks and, and believes. Uh, I don't think he's a, a bad person, an evil person, someone with an intent to do bad. Uh, I think that he has a particular worldview and a narrative that doesn't really fit with my worldview um, and has, I think, in my opinion, respectfully, an outdated position uh, of what the reality is and how to be able to move forward. I think the younger generation, millennials and Gen Z, are way more open to the idea of being able to create a reality that both can exist. I think there's many things to say about social media that's wrong, such as echo chambers and confirmation bias. Um, but there's also many good things about social media, which has allowed millennials and Gen Z to grow up in this era that allows them to see the world as way more interconnected, uh, that allows us to be on a similar wavelength, uh, culture to be very similar, movies to be out at the same time, uh, things to go viral at the same time, uh, the ability to communicate very rapidly. I can go and contact someone from India to Australia to Canada to Brazil. Uh, and because we live with this reality that we can connect very quickly, uh, we do have, I think, more of a confidence to be able to overcome things that I think previous generations think that there's just no way. Um, so I think that the younger generations are very different than the older generations. Um, and so that's why I'm very, um, have, a, have a view that we can actually overcome these things uh, in a very positive way. Um, and that may be me as an idealist, but I think uh, usually those that are idealists are those that play a role in changing and shifting history. I hear that. I hear you on that. Um, yeah, I thought it was um, an interesting one. I'm going to, I'm going to watch it back. Um, as you know, um, I probably stand somewhere in between you and him in, in terms of my uh, perspective. 
I do think on the Kazar theory is where, if I'm going to say one thing where he was factually wrong, it was the Kazar theory. And he kind of walked that back a little bit and said, it doesn't matter. That doesn't, your, your DNA isn't what makes you Jewish. So it seems like he kind of claimed it. And then uh, upon being pushed back, he, you know, he maybe thought that he doesn't, he doesn't know too much about that. And then just said, you no, know, just said. Of being pro the Kazarian theory. Um, and which I think surprised he, me that, that, yeah. that he, yeah. He mentioned blood quantum. He said Palestinians right. have more DNA connected to the yeah. ancient Israel false. Um, again, doesn't mean anyone's legitimate or illegitimate, but it's just genetically false. Um, and it's not, you're not indigenous or you don't have a collective connection to a civilization based on your blood quantum. So he did bring up blood quantum as an argument to say, uh, who is or who has more of a claim and then brought up the Kazarian theory, which has been widely disproven over and over and to source Shlomo. Right, that, yeah, no, that I think was just misinformation. I'm, I'm going to even give him a follow up email and just send him. Uh, information on that. I, I, I do agree with the point that you don't need DNA to make, make you Jewish. So, like, I think that's a legit point, but I think, and the greater Israel, I mean, that to me, that was just like, let's get over that shit already. That doesn't even matter, you know? disagree, but again, in, in, in his experience, that's what it is. And in my experience, this is what it is. Yeah. Uh, and it is what it is. At the end of the day, what we mean is what matters, not necessarily the way that we say it. Although the way that we say it can impact other people's perception to what we actually are trying to say, which is why sometimes we should be careful of what we say, but in an intellectual conversation where he can comprehend what I'm trying to say beyond if he defines words differently, uh, we should be able to move forward from those ideas and have a constructive conversation, which maybe we can have in part two if he's open to it. Yeah, uh, I will definitely reach back out to him. Um, cool. You ready to hop on Discord and engage a little bit with the community? Absolutely. Awesome. So, uh, friends, thanks for joining us. Um, just a little, uh, this coming Thursday, we actually have an Israel-Palestine debate with Zahir and Eliran, an Israel and Palestinian. So tune in this Thursday. You'll see uh, an event already up on our YouTube. And next Thursday, we actually have Yehuda Cohen and Yishai Fleischer, two West Bank Jews. That's going to be an interesting one. People often think that they're monolithic in their views, but they're totally not. They're going to discuss their differences. If you're new to the page, subscribe. Jesse, can you please toss the Discord link in the in the in the chat so people could join Discord? For those unfamiliar with Discord, you join, you'll see it says lounge on the left hand side. Click lounge, you'll be connected, kind of like Zoom via voice. Um, you could ask you'll be able to talk, but actually, because there's a lot of people, we're gonna have like an organized way where you're gonna write out questions, and I'll be asking Rudy your questions. Once it kind of simmers down and there's less people, it'll just be a free free discussion for everybody. Um, and yeah, one last thing. So we've had a lot of new shows. We had 20 questions. We had an Israeli and Palestinian reactive Fauda. A lot of these shows, I, I had nothing to do with them. It, we're a community run project. Community members come, they present an idea and they have full green light to use this platform as long as their vision is the same as the, the vision of the platform. And that's reconciliation between people. So if anybody watching this wants to join us, the door is wide open. Reach out to me. My contact information is in the description. Uh, you, you could gladly join our team and contribute in any capacity you'd like. Also, Rudy's contact information is in the description. He's always happy to engage as well. So feel free to find him on social media and, and reach out to him. Uh, Rudy, brother, this was great. And um, we'll continue it in the Discord.